0: Baker Bots LLP, provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice and are not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, coming to you from San Diego, California. Today's episode, I will be joined by my partner, Aaron Street. Aaron's the head of our constitutional law practice and a repeat flyer at the U.S. Supreme Court. He's joining us today to talk about a critically important case that was argued earlier this week on January seventeenth, 2024. Aaron, thank you for joining us today.
1: It is great to be with you, Megan. Looking forward to discussing Chevron. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Well, Aaron, that's actually probably a a great way to get started now that you mentioned Chevron. Why don't you give our listeners a sense of what this case is about?
1: Sure. So we all know that In a typical case where there's a dispute over the meaning of a federal statute, federal judges interpret the words and tell us what those words mean. And those decisions are precedent that bind regulated actors and others uh, to the meaning of those words. But things are a little bit different when agency is involved, a federal regulatory agency. Uh, In that instance, where Congress has given a federal agency the ability to make regulations, or perform adjudications, then a different set of interpretive tools applies in federal court. In a case like that, where a party is challenging a regulation or is challenging an agency adjudication adverse to it, the agency can come into federal court and invoke what is called chevron deference with respect to the meaning of a statute that it implements. What that means is a two-step process that federal courts will engage in. So the courts will look at the statute and, first of all, will ask whether the statute is unambiguous on the question that's at issue in the case. If it is unambiguous, then the court gives us the unambiguous meaning and the agency doesn't receive any deference. If, however, the relevant statutory term is ambiguous or it's silent on the question that's presented in the dispute, then Chevron Step 2 tells us that the agency gets to provide its interpretation of what that ambiguous term means, and the court will defer to any reasonable interpretation given by the agency. All of this comes from a case uh, called Chevron back in 1984, uh, which had to do with the definition of stationary source under the Clean Air Act. But in the last couple decades, and in particular in the last five to 10 years, the idea of federal judges deferring to agencies on the meaning of statutes has come under increasing attack. And finally, the court has taken up two cases, Loper, Bright, and Relentless, that expressly ask the court to overrule Chevron and reaffirm what the petitioners in these cases say is the very old and venerable principle that federal judges are the ones who interpret statutes, not agencies. So that's what is at issue in this case.
0: Well, before we get into why this case is so important, which I think probably most of the listeners can guess where we're going on that based on the introduction. Let's talk a little bit about the argument that just happened this week. I know you were able to listen to the argument, Aaron. What would you say your top three takeaways were?
1: There were two arguments back to back for a total of about three and a half hours. So,
0: oh, oh, wow. you know, okay. you
1: were su- a Supreme Court nerd like I am, then this was heaven. But for most people, that may or may not have been a good way to spend your entire morning. But it was a very interesting argument. And of course, the key question in a case like this is counting the votes and trying to make a prediction of where the court will go. This is a unique case in that respect, because so many of these justices have written either opinions or law review articles, on their views about Chevron deference. So we know coming into this case, the views of the majority of the justices, the question marks were Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Barrett. We generally think that the three more liberal justices, Sotomayor, Jackson, and Kagan, will be in favor of deferring to agency interpretations based on the idea that the agencies are expert in their fields and they are politically accountable to some extent through the president and they want agencies to have flexibility to address new problems that arise that congress may or may not be able to address the sixth justice conservative majority we know based on past writings that Justice Thomas has become a Chevron skeptic. Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh have expressly said in either lower court writings or law review articles that they think Chevron deference is an abomination and federal courts need to be the ones interpreting statutes. They're much better at it than federal agencies. So that leaves the chief and Justice Barrett. The chief has joined some opinions that cut back on Chevron deference. Well, mostly in dissent. And the chief has joined a different opinion called Kaiser that we might touch on later that reaffirms some measure of deference to agencies when they interpret their own regulations, not statutes, but their own regulations. So the chief has taken a bit of a middle ground position. Uh, Justice Barrett has not weighed in on this issue in either her academic writings or her writings on the lower court. So all of that big wind-up is just to say the takeaway is if you had to predict based on the oral argument, it looks like Chevron will be overruled and the idea of deference to agencies and interpreting statutes will be wiped off the books. But if there's any hope for Chevron's defenders, then it would be with the chief and Justice Barrett Both of them asked questions that were very skeptical of Chevron, but they also asked questions of the petitioners seeking to overrule Chevron that indicated they are reluctant to overrule a 40-year-old precedent, they believe in stare decisis, and they want to make sure that there's not some narrower ground on which they could resolve the case without overruling Chevron. That's... First takeaway, my second and third takeaway are much shorter. Second takeaway is just how much the court has changed in its disposition to the idea of statutory interpretation. And that was underlying a lot of the questions and answers. At the time of Chevron, 1984, Justice Scalia was not yet on the court The court had not undergone this textualist revolution where courts now pay close attention to statutes and their words and their context and their structure and their grammar and not as much attention to legislative history. And because courts have gotten good at exercising those muscles, I think they're much less likely to think that agencies really have anything to offer. And that change has been something that I think is underlying the attack on Chevron. It also underlies one of the major arguments against Chevron, which is that we have a statute that tells us how courts are supposed to review agency action. It's called the Administrative Procedures Act.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And there's a very important section in that act that is quite inconsistent with Chevron. Section 706 of the APA says the reviewing court shall determine questions of statutory law and constitutional law. And everybody agrees that courts get to determine the Constitution. Courts would never defer to the Securities and Exchange Commission on whether one of their rules violated some constitutional provision. But for some reason, well, we know the reason, it's Chevron, courts defer to agencies on the interpretation of statutes, even though statutory and constitutional law both look like they're given to the courts in Section 706. So there was a lot of textual focus on 706 and whether that provides an adequate basis for overruling Chevron. Third takeaway is a recurring theme on the Roberts Court, and I alluded to it earlier, but it's the concept of stare decisis, and respect for long settled precedent. The chief in particular and Justice Kagan are leading exponents of being careful about when the court overrules precedents. So much of the fight in this case is centered around whether this is the rare case where a precedent should be overruled. The petitioners here have a strong argument In that this is not your typical precedent. Most precedents say what the Constitution means or say what a statute means. And we want litigants and regulated parties to be able to rely on that. This precedent is about how courts decide cases. Chevron, as it's being discussed here, is not a holding about the meaning of a statute. It's a holding about the way courts interpret statutes relative to agencies. So there's a strong argument that the court needs to fix its own mess Mm -hmm. if it thinks it's created a mess. This is not a typical statutory holding where Congress can simply go back and amend the text of the statute. There was a lot of debate about how much it mattered that this is a methodological holding rather than a holding about the meaning of a statute. The solicitor general who argued in defense of the Department of Commerce in this case and in defense of Chevron deference argued that because the Chevron principle has been used by the Supreme Court in more than 77 cases to tell us the meaning of particular statutes, that that creates a great deal of reliance on Chevron. And I think she had a very good point there. If Chevron were overruled, parties could come back to the court and argue that all those previous cases held is that an agency made a reasonable interpretation of the statute, and those parties could ask the court, now that Chevron's been overruled, you shouldn't care whether the agency's made a reasonable interpretation. You as the court need to tell us the best interpretation. And so all of those 77 cases could theoretically be up for grabs and could introduce a degree of instability into a variety of different regulated industries. Those, I think, are the three takeaways uh, from the argument.
0: Aaron, that last point, I'm just thinking about what would the impact be if the court did overrule Chevron?
1: That was also a topic of some discussion in the argument. So in one way, it would be revolutionary. In other ways, in other types of statutes, it would not change that much. So let me break that down a little bit. A lot of federal statutes use very capacious language. The agency shall determine the reasonable length of trucks. That was something that was mentioned during the oral argument. The EPA shall promulgate standards sufficient to protect public health. The FCC shall approve requests for spectrum in the public interest or to protect the public interest. Cases like that will not change very much in my opinion because even the petitioners attacking chevron said that congress can use that type of broad language to delegate discretion to the agencies and the court would simply construe that language according to its plain meaning oh the department of transportation gets to determine the reasonable length of trucks that's pretty straightforward that gives the department of transportation a lot of discretion Then the Department of Transportation tells us 25 feet, 30 feet, and that's simply subject to arbitrary and capricious review, like it always has been. So, in those types of statutes, I don't think overruling Chevron would change very much because the plain meaning of those statutes is to give a broad degree of discretion to the agency. And the agency is not really interpreting the word reasonable or public interest, it's making a policy judgment. But there is a large second category of cases where the agency is interpreting a lengthy, complicated statute with a lot of modifiers and commas and cross-references and lists of things the agencies can and can't do. And I think in those cases, the agency will no longer be receiving deference if Chevron is overruled. So I think in the chevron world which we've all been living in since 1984 the agency could say that statute is really long and complicated it is not explicit whether i can or cannot issue this regulation it's ambiguous therefore you defer to the agency under chevron step two if chevron is overruled the courts are now going to be telling us this word modifies this and therefore here's the one meaning of the statute And that rules in or rules out what the agency can do. And just to put a more concrete point on it, I mean, this case is about fishing monitors, government monitors riding along in fishing boats to monitor the catch. And it's clear that the agency has the authority to force the fishermen to carry those monitors in their boats. The question is who pays for it? And the statute says the agency... force the fishermen to pay for X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't say pay for the monitors to ride along in their boats. The agency said, well, the statute's silent on who pays for it. Therefore, you should defer to us when we say the fishermen should pay for it. If there is no Chevron deference, then the court is just going to read that statute and give its best interpretation of who should pay for it with no deference to the agency. And there's hundreds and hundreds of statutory questions that will now be resolved in that way. There was a question in the argument about, well, should courts still consider agency interpretations and give them any type of weight or respect, even if not deference? And this consensus seemed to be that if Chevron was overruled, then there would be something called Skidmore deference that would be the fallback. And that's based on a a very old case by Justice Robert Jackson. And essentially, Skidmore says if the agency issued an interpretation around the same time as the statute, and it's been consistent in the way it interpreted the statute for a long period of time, and it brought its expertise to bear, then courts will give some weight to that interpretation, so long as it's persuasive. So it's not a formal deference doctrine, as much as it is careful consideration of the agency view. So it's not that the agency won't Be listened to and given some consideration, but it's more that the courts will reserve to themselves the right to interpret the meaning of words on a page. So, all this going forward, I think, means in a world where Congress has trouble passing big statutes, and yet we have big problems like how should cryptocurrency be regulated? How should artificial intelligence be regulated? We're going to have more and more of a premium on advocates and on parties who are experts in statutory interpretation, who know the rules of the road that the more conservative majority of the court has articulated for interpreting statutes. And they'll be creatively advocating and applying open-ended words of old statutes and carefully reticulated words of old statutes, to apply to these new problems that the drafters of the statutes never anticipated.
0: Aaron, thank you for that. And that was tremendously interesting, and especially to everyone in a regulated industry who's looking ahead and wondering how to read the tea leaves on the regulations that they're going to need to comply with for the next year, five years, 10 years, and so on down the line. Before I let you go today, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners?
1: Yes, I think two final thoughts, because we're all working on comments on rules that may be reviewed under a post-Chevron world. If you are supporting an agency position, commenters from industry need to be helping the agency persuasively interpret the text of the statute. It's not going to be enough to assume that the statute is ambiguous and help the agency to offer a lot of good policy reasons for your desired result. Second, when we come to litigating, it's going to completely change the way we litigate. We're no longer going to be fighting over whether a statute's ambiguous. It'll be just like any other case where a court is interpreting a document, a contract, or a statute, and we'll all be playing on the textualist playing field without any overlay of deference to the agency. I think that means those of us who already do this every day in textualist and statutory interpretation world will keep doing what we're doing and using our expertise in that field. Those of us who have gotten used to the Chevron way of life will need to put on our creative thinking caps and come up with some new textual arguments. We'll also need to think about whether there are any of those 77 cases that relied on Chevron that we don't like and that we want to ask a court to revisit under a new post-Chevron regime.
0: Interesting. Well, Aaron, thank you for sharing your perspective and really appreciate you joining the podcast today.
1: Happy to be with you.
0: More information about the cases discussed today is available in the podcast episode notes. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with Aaron, his contact information is available as well. I'm Megan Birch. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to address our clients' most significant legal issues. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice, and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.